My dilemma is we're going to read James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And some of you, as we read this passage, you're going to think it's kind of harsh. You're going to think it's kind of tough. And actually, James is saying something that um, we all know, if we're honest with ourselves. James is saying, basically, we are selfish people. Inside, we're selfish. We don't think it's that big of a deal. Kind of push it off to the side. But we're selfish. So, so what James does to make, sure, to make sure that he understands, or we understand, how big of a deal this is, he says things like this. He calls us murderers. Calls us adulterers. He calls us potential enemies of God. We're dirty. We need to be cleansed. He says, mourn and weep. And in our world today, we say James is not very nice. Right? Now realize that's that's not my dilemma either. I think niceness is a little bit overrated. I'd rather have somebody tell me the truth than just pretend to be nice. My dilemma is this. I really like this passage. And I want you to like this passage even more than I like this passage. You see, some of you this morning, you've, you've come in with, um, I guess we could say, hardened hearts. Right? You're going to read this passage. You're going to say, this is just an ancient guy with ancient words speaking to an ancient people and has nothing to do with me. I can't relate. There are others of you who have walked in that door and you have softer hearts. You're more tender hearted. You might read this and and you're going to say, wow, I'm a mess. I have no hope. And of course, there's probably the biggest part of our congregation, people that come in the door on a Sunday morning. Part of us really doesn't care. They're not trying to be mean What I'm saying is we're just working real hard to be happy. We think we know what we need to be happy. And you're pretty busy or we're pretty busy just trying to be happy. Church might even be a part of that, right? You might think that coming to church will add something to your life so that you will be more fulfilled. I think that's true. But if that's why you come to church, you're missing the reason why we come and gather together. So how, how this morning do I get you to like what James has to say, or at least get you to tune in enough to think about what James has to say? Let, let me tell you how, how I came about it. <clears throat> whether you have a hard heart, whether you have this tender heart, maybe, maybe you're just struggling. You, you want to care, but you just don't care like you would like to care. James is explaining to us why we are like this, why we have hard hearts, why we have tender hearts, why we sometimes don't care the way we need to. He's telling us why we're like this. And the second thing he tells us is God knows all about it. In fact, he knows it better than you know it. And he's the one that can help us get out of the problem. And when you think about it in that way, this is really a good passage. 
Because before we can deal with the problems that we have inside our hearts, we have to know what that problem is. And the amazing thing about Christianity, it provides a solution. So think about that, whether or not you have a hard heart this morning, whether or not you're a little bit tender-hearted, maybe you'd like to care more than you do. Think about that as we read this passage together, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Read along with me, please. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Or you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes him an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you? To judge your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Even what seems to be uh, a difficult passage. We thank you that you love us enough to speak truth. Now would you open up our ears. Help us to see Jesus Christ. Help us to understand our dilemma. Help us to see your grace, Father, that we would rejoice. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want us to, I want us to see our hearts. I want us to see God's grace. And then I want us to rejoice. Rejoice in the fact that as we see our hearts, as we see God's grace, God will lift us up. I remember... When I was a younger father with younger children, there was, there was one time that my wife and I, there were many times actually, but I remember this one time where we caught one of my boys in a lie. He was lying, and after, after we got over the, the traumatic fact, why it was traumatic, I don't know, that my children would actually lie. After we got over the trauma, we sat him down, and I asked him, why'd you lie? It was, really, it was really kind of sweet. He had tears in his eyes. He looked at me with those big old eyes, and he, he said, Daddy, I don't know why I lied. I just did. It just came out of me. So I'm sure I, I don't remember, but I'm sure I hugged him, and we had this hallmark moment. You know what I wish I would have done when my son told me about why he lied? 
I wish I would have looked at him and said, son, I understand. I understand more than you know. Because the fact of the matter is we are all liars. And that's why Jesus Christ has come. That's why Jesus Christ died. And that's why we don't have to lie anymore. That's the same thing that James is doing in this passage. He's saying, I want you to look into your hearts. I want you to, I want you to see what's in there because you really don't think it's that bad. So I'm going to have to use some terminology to make sure you understand the depth of your problem. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It is this. It's your passions are at war within you. Your passions, you could, you could translate it self-centered pleasures, selfish desires. They're at war within us. We desire and we do not have, so we murder, we covet, and we cannot obtain, so we fight and quarrel. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. I haven't murdered anybody. And I might be a little bit jealous of some people, but overall, it's not that bad. I might argue with a few people, but I'm not spending most of my time quarreling and fighting. But we do. James was written a long time ago. They had different issues. They struggled with different specifics. But the fact of the matter is their hearts are just like ours. They struggled with sin. And just like us, James is writing to Christians. And this is not talking about the world here. He's talking about Christians. They've known that Jesus, they know that Jesus Christ has come. They know that he was crucified on the cross. They know that he was raised from the dead. And they've placed their trust in him. And yet they are still struggling with sin. They're not only struggling with sin, but that struggle with sin, it means they're not getting along with everybody. In fact, James tells us later that some are even wandering away from the faith. You know what they're saying? This isn't what I expected. This this might be a little bit too hard. People are really messed up. Oh, by the way, the church is full of hypocrites, right? We're really not that different from the people that James is writing to. Sure, you may not have murdered anyone, but Jesus says if you've been angry with them in your heart, it's the same thing. right? You may not walk into the YouTube headquarters or some school, shoot people up, but there have been times when our tongues have cut people down. We don't have to take a physical life to murder someone, do we? Because gossip can be pretty harsh, can't it? And you think about coveting, you think about envy, you think about jealousy. I, I think I have a pretty good life. But I do have to admit, after looking at all the spring break posting on Instagram and Facebook, I wish I'd have been at the beach, right? James is simply saying, we have a problem, Okay? And it's the problem that that Monty said that he had before he came to know Christ. He he decided to live for himself. He wanted to live for himself. We are at passion, we have passions that are at war within our hearts. We have these desires, and we don't know exactly what to do with them all. And there's a battle going on inside of us. And you know what the battle is? We love God. If you're a Christian, we do love God, but we also love ourselves. And one or the other is going to win. 
Look, James says in, in, in verses 3 and 4, sometimes we don't even act like Christians. He says sometimes we don't even pray. We're not asking God. We're not looking to Him. And you, and you realize if prayer is the posture of dependence, not praying is a posture of self-sufficiency. You know what we're doing? Saying, God, just move over here a little bit. I got this. I know what I need. Sometimes we do pray, right? James says, yeah. But you don't think he's responding. And the reason he's not responding or you don't think he's responding is because what we think we need is not what we really need. And the fact of the matter is God is answering us very clearly. He's just not giving us what we want because what we want is not really what we need. And to make sure that we don't miss the point, that we don't kind of push this off, that we're, we're okay, we can handle it, James says, you're adulterers. You and me, we are adulterers. We've left God for something else, making us just like an unfaithful spouse. He says we're either with God and he's with us, or we're an enemy of God. We can't be both. Let me put it in our context today, okay? Make sure that you understand that we're living right where the people of James were living. In our world today, let's say you live in Athens, let's say you live any place in America, we have certain desires, things that the world provides, things that we want, things that we think are necessary to make us happy, don't, don't you? You watch TV, you see those commercials, you see other people. This has become so much a part of our world that we now believe that if we're going to be, we're going to flourish as human beings, we have to have these things. We need it now, or if we don't get it now, we need to have it before we die. So what matters most is, I think I said it in Sunday school this morning, what matters most is our, our happiness, or our personal success. Not that there's anything wrong with wanting to be happy or wanting to be successful. But what happens is, as these desires start to overwhelm our hearts, they're worked out in our relationships. And it changes how we view everything. If you start thinking that you're here to be fulfilled, to flourish, to be completely happy in the here and now, it starts changing the way you look at sex, the way you look at jobs, the way you look at money, the way you look at power. You can see it in our world today, right? Sex is no longer ordered in the way God has provided that good gift. And what we do is we end up using it because it's there to make me feel good. Our jobs. Jobs are no longer something that we can do to serve the people that, that we work for, to serve people that, that work for us and to help provide for our family. Jobs are there to make me happy. And if your job is there to make you happy, then anything that gets in your way, you're not going to be happy with. You can do it with money. You can do it with power, whatever it is. It, we can do it with God. If your primary motivation in life is to be happy and to be successful the way the world defines that, then we're going to look to God and God's going to be there in order to make us happy. You know what happens? 
Other people and other things, they're here for us. We're not here for them. We end up hurting each other. We end up fighting. We end up quarreling. We end up hating. Something as simple as just wanting to be complete in the here and now, according to the world's standards, creates in us these desires that can really hurt other people. And sometimes we don't even mean to. This is why James is being so blunt. This is why James says it in the way that he says it, because he wants us to see the depth of our problem. Sure, we're good guys, but we're also selfish. And selfish good people can do a tremendous amount of damage. The fact of the matter, James says, we need help. So the first thing that James wants us to see is he wants us to see our hearts. He doesn't want us to sugarcoat it. He doesn't want us to pretend like everything's okay. And he's talking to Christians. You get that? This is me and you. We're in need. And then James says, number two, God's grace is greater than your mess. God's grace is greater than our own hearts. God's grace alone enables us to see what we really need to see. That's why he says in verse 5, there's a reason that, God, that Scripture says, listen, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. He gives greater grace. As messed up as we are, God's grace is bigger. James is not quoting a particular verse here in the Old Testament. He's pointing to the fact that all of Scripture says that the promise of God from the very beginning is I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your husband and you will be my wife. I will be there for you no matter what. And and, and it's a jealous God. I I was watching an Oprah Winfrey YouTube the other day and she doesn't like this. She thinks it's terrible that we have a jealous God. I would suggest to you not to transfer your own experiences with jealousy onto God. Because our jealousy is tainted with sin. Our jealousy is often hurtful and destructive. But God's jealousy is perfect. God's jealousy is loving. And God's jealousy has the power to change us. Let me explain it like this. For you parents out there, you have some younger children, right? We can, we can say there are some exceptions, but for the most part, nobody loves a child like a mom or a dad. Isn't that right? What's going to happen when you start seeing your children going the wrong way, doing the wrong things? What are you going to do? If you love your child, you're going to do whatever you have to do to bring them back on the right path. You know what you could say? You're jealous for them. You know what you could say? If you weren't jealous for them, you wouldn't love them. You're not jealous at your children. You're jealous for your children. Now, we're not God, and we don't do it perfectly, but if God is perfect, if God knows everything, if God knows what is best, then God's jealousy is good. God's jealousy is our hope. To be loved like this by the God of the universe changes us. And James says he yearns jealously over the spirits that he's made to dwell in us. He's our creator. He knows how we were made, what we were made for. And and what James is saying is God will not stop at anything to make us into what we need to be. Now you think about that. James starts out by saying you think you're selfish 
Or you acknowledge your selfishness, but you're not a big deal. I'm here to tell you that your selfishness is ruining yourself and ruining others. And in the midst of that, he says, but God's grace is bigger than all that. If you have a God like that, aren't you amazed that even though we struggle with loving him, he doesn't stop loving us. He doesn't stop seeking after us. He doesn't stop drawing us back to him. Have you ever thought about this? Maybe that's why we're not getting all the things that we think we need to be happy. Because if God were allow us to have those things, all they would do is draw us away from him and it would hurt us. God's grace is greater than our own desires. God's grace is greater than our sins. God's grace is greater than our wandering hearts. And this is why in verse 7, James says, submit to God. I want to say it like this. When you realize that you don't have any hope and you can't fix anything that's wrong with you, and yet you know that God loves you and cares for you, what do you do? You fall down on your knees like Isaiah and you simply say, woe is me. But you don't stay there. You get up and you say, what do I do? And James says, submit to God. And I know submit is a loaded term in our world today, but but think of submit like this. Order your life in light of God's love and grace for you. Take your proper place under God's love and he will lift you up. And then what will happen is you'll start resisting the devil. You'll cleanse your hands. You'll purify your hearts. You'll be wretched. You'll mourn. You'll weep. You'll, your laughter will be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And we all say that doesn't sound like very much fun. You want to know why that doesn't sound like very much fun? Because you're looking at this as like it's some kind of command for you to get your act together as, as, rather than a response to God's overwhelming love for you. Do, do you see that? And if you knew that you were really a mess and you didn't have any hope and God wasn't going to give up on you, man, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna turn to him and say, I need you and thank you for being there. What happens, okay? Listen, this is for a Christian or a non-Christian that God is at work. When you become aware of your sin and your need and at the same time know that God is for you, you don't merely just confess and fall down and say, I'm a mess. You confess and you look up and you see God ready and willing to fix you. And I will, I will admit, this isn't the world's idea of happiness, but it's good. James is not saying we're not ever supposed to be happy. James is saying if we're ever going to be happy, you need to see where your happiness ultimately comes from. He says draw near to God. He's not telling us to draw near to God because that will get God to move us closer to us. God is already close to us. He's saying draw near to God and you won't have all those distractions and you'll see how much God loves you. And when you put those two things together, you know what you have? You rejoice. You love this passage. Because you see that God wants to lift you up. He wants to exalt you. I need to say this, and I need to say this very quickly. There's nothing wrong with you wanting to be happy. Nothing at all. There's there's nothing wrong with desiring the good things God has prepared for us. 
And it's easy to miss, but it's right here in this passage. We were made for the good things that God provides. We were made to be exalted, but it only comes according to God and his plan. And you know what God's plan is? Is verse 10. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The Christian message. There is a way to laughter. There is a way to happiness. There is a way to joy. But it, it doesn't come from inside yourself. Right? It doesn't come from something that you do and you work out. It comes from outside of us. It comes from beyond us. And it comes to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When we see him dying on a cross in our place. What is it that makes you humble and in this humility you are lifted up? It's seeing that God jealously loves you so much that he dies for you. That humbles you, it lifts you up, and it places you right where you need to be. Listen, let me, let me put it together like this. If we seek our happiness in and of ourself, all we're going to do is get this sense of angst. We're, we're going to be anxious, we're going to be fearful, we're going to be angry. Because deep down inside, we know we can't do it. And even if we think we can do it, somebody's going to get in your way. And it's going to make you mad. But if you're looking to God and you know his love and his grace, we are now free to struggle, we're free to be weak, we're free to be vulnerable, we're free to serve. We simply don't mourn and confess our sins, but in that weakness of mourning and confessing, we turn to God in Christ Jesus and we are healed. That's repentance. That's what this passage is all about. There's, there's power in repenting and turning to Christ. Listen, the, the world says this in our age of authenticity, right? The world says, this is what you need to be saying. This is me. You must accept me as I am. That's what the world says, right? This is me. You know what Christianity says? We say the same thing. And this is me. But then we say, God, take me and change me and make me into something I'm not. When you know that God's grace is real and he's done everything necessary to make you right, you know what happens? We're free to die to our own selfish desires. We're free to consider other people more important than ourselves. We're free to turn the other cheek. We're free to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And we're free to enter into the sadness and the mourning of the world and other people. Which is, by the way, I don't have time to talk about it, but that's what 11 and 12 is all about, verses 11 and 12. Listen, when you understand God's grace in the midst of your mess, when you understand God's greater grace than your own hearts and the world, you won't speak evil against other people because you don't have to. You won't have judgmental spirits and condescending hearts because now we are free to love other people because in, in Jesus Christ we have everything that we need and it can never be taken away. We no longer live for today. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for Jesus Christ and in him we flourish. In him we are happy even in the midst of a messed up world. Let me tell you what happens here when you see the mess. When you see God's bigger grace, 
We take our eyes off of ourselves. We look and we see Jesus Christ and we are saved. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to live the Christian life. We take our eyes off of ourselves. We look to God in Jesus Christ and we live to him. Listen, I started with a dilemma, didn't I? If you came in here with a hard heart, you know what? God's grace is big enough to soften it. If you came in here with a tender and soft heart, God's grace will give you strength and it will give you boldness. And listen, if it's true that God has become man to save us from our sins, it's only to your detriment that you don't care. There is no dilemma here that God can't fix. Praise be to our gracious God. Let's pray. Father, I, um, we bow down and we do mourn over our broken hearts, our sins, our selfishness. We do confess that we pretend that they're not that big of a deal and yet they are. But we lift up our eyes to you and we see your promises and we see your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And you are so much bigger. And we have hope and we have salvation. So, Father, I pray that all of us here today would remember Paul's words that we are crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but Jesus lives in us. The life we live here on this earth in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. It's because of him and for him we pray these things. Amen.